Okay, this is Gary Parrish from CBSSports.com. It is now late on March 24th. We're getting very close to Wednesday, March 25th, and this is the I on College Basketball Podcast. I'm joined, as usual, by my colleagues Matt Norlander and Sam Bassini, and another busy day on the college basketball beat. Forget that the Sweet 16 actually gets started here in, in you know, less than 48 hours. Uh, we had a coaching change in the Pac-12. Herb Sindek. Uh, gone after nine seasons at Arizona State, only made two NCAA tournaments. I'll be honest with you, I had heard, you know, because like you would think he might be in trouble for all the obvious reasons. As recently as two weeks ago, people around that program and around Herb, and I think even Herb himself, I'm told, like they thought everything was cool, like no problem. And then I started hearing yesterday um, after the NIT loss at Richmond uh, that there might actually be a problem. Then, of course, we realize he's going to meet with the AD at like 9.45 on Tuesday morning, like less than 24 hours after they return to Tempe, and that's never a good sign. And then, of course, he's removed, and uh, now Arizona State will launch a national search, although I've been told if Jeff Capel wants the job, Jeff Capel will be the next head coach at Arizona State. Norlander, your thoughts on the end of the Herb Sindek era at Arizona State? Yeah, uh, what an era it was. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't believe he's been there nine years, by the way. It does seem like forever. Neither can I. That uh, blows my mind. Um, and he just, I mean, he been a weird year. Uh, had every kind of right, I guess, to think he'd be okay. He had a contract uh, revised three months ago, <laughs> uh, which sometimes can mean nothing. I mean, obviously, when there, are, when there are buyouts involved and schools have the money and they want to make a move, they'll make a move. But, um, but it's, it did seem like he would get one more year from my perspective. Uh, but we, they move on. I think it's a good move. I mean, he has had time. Yeah. Um, for Capel, I think you take that. I mean, if, it, if it's his to turn down, um, listen, it's, to me, it's – it's a really solid job that's underperformed for the past 30 years for the most part, but uh, good area, obviously really good league. Um, Capel has head coaching experience. How long does he want to stay as a Duke assistant? Um, you know, Krzyzewski's not, we don't think, leaving in the next three or four years, so it's, it now becomes an interesting subplot with Duke in that you know, Bobby Hurley is now rumored for DePaul. I think he would be really good for that job. Um, but then you've got Collins at Northwestern, you've got Woj at Marquette, and you right. might have Capel at, at Arizona State. And the general consensus with Duke here is that it will be a Duke guy that succeeds, Krzyzewski. So we'll have an interesting race between those guys and kind of, you know, who Krzyzewski might want combined with who's the most successful over the next three to five years. If I'm Capel, I take it. Um, because I think ultimately when that Duke job is given, it's going to go to a current head coach. So get back out there. Um, and I would think that he will take it, uh, but let's see how the next week or so plays out. Because, you know, the weird thing is here is, well, let's say Duke goes to the national title game. Is Arizona State going to be willing to wait? Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. Sometimes schools do, and sometimes they don't. But if you've got him going on for another two weeks or so, um, what kind of candidates are you going to bring into interview? And how quick are you going to pull a trigger? Uh, that's what I'm interested to see. But it was time for Sendek to go. And um, now, you know, as we talk here, we're starting to really get some spin on this carousel. Um, and, and we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, we can get to what Marshall said on Jim Rome today uh, in a little bit. But overall, um, yeah, here we go. Uh, between games, this stuff always happens every year. And uh, Arizona State just delays to move. Listen, I, I like Herb, and I don't ever like like. There, there's nothing fun about somebody losing their job. Like it would suck if it were me. It would suck if it were you. And it sucks even if it's a millionaire basketball coach. All that said, 
Like, I get it. You know, where's the program? You know, while you're watching Sean Miller build an, a, a monster down the street, you know, where is the Arizona State program really going under Herb? Like, he's a terrific coach in terms of, like, coach. But, you know, there's so much more to high major basketball than just, you know, being great on a dry erase board. And um, a lot of the stuff that it takes to uh, you know, zap energy into a program or to compete at the highest levels consistently – uh, they just hadn't happened. If they hadn't happened in you know nine years, for the most part, not the way you'd want, um, then then why were they going to happen in year ten, year eleven, year twelve? Like it was always a matter of time. And honestly, nine years is a long time in this profession. So um, I got no issue with them pulling the trigger on it. it. In fact, it makes a lot of sense to pull the trigger. Uh, I'm curious, Sam. You live in LA. Uh, you watch the Pac-12 as much as anybody. Uh, how good of a job is the Arizona State job? Um, what's possible there? Yeah, you know, I think it's a solid mid-level Pac-12 job. Like, I know that I saw some people on Twitter uh, a little bit down on the job in general because you're next to Arizona. Uh, like, the, the recruiting in Arizona is not that great, but you do have California next door. That should help out a little bit. So, I, you know, I, I think it's a pretty mid-level job. I would say it's definitely below the UCLA and, uh, you know, the Arizona realm. And it might even have, like, fewer resources than a USC, which, in my opinion, is still just like a sleeping giant out there. Um, but, you know, in that five to six range in the Pac-12, I think you could easily do worse. And I think Capel would do a pretty good job there. He's known as a really, really strong recruiter. I'm pretty sure he had a, a high influence as far as getting Tyus Jones and Jaleel Okafor there. I want to say he was pretty big in Jabari Parker as well. So I, I think that he could do really well there. It wouldn't surprise me at all. And, you know, I just got to pour one out for my fellow Carnegie Mellon grad, Herb Sendak, <laughs> you know. Uh, he'll get 2.7 million as a buyout. You sure. always feel and bad. he'll, I, I would think Sendek in the next two years, like, I don't know if it'll be Ivy or Patriot. Like he'll go to a smaller school. He'll, he'll be a head coach again. It'll just be, that's yeah. where he'll kind of, he'll, he'll sail off and enjoy his final 10 years or so as a coach in, in a smaller school. I would, I would think that's gotta be coming. Cause Herb's uh, not, a, he's not as old as people yeah, think. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like he's how old too. is he? How he's 52. Right. That's what I was going to say. He's not as old as people think. Like if, if, cause he's been around forever. Yeah. And, and he, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but he seems to look maybe older. <laughs> Does he? Or maybe, no, I know what you're or maybe, maybe he's, maybe he's aged into his age. Like, does that make yeah. sense? Maybe he's, he looks 52 now, but he also looked 52 when he was 42. Yeah. <laughs> like, like maybe that's it for whatever reason that if you know, you, I was surprised, and I didn't realize this today, but it, like whenever it was, a year ago, two years ago, at some point I remember going, really? He's only that old? Like yeah. I remember having that thought. And so, um, yeah, he's not at retirement age. He can, He's still got coaching years ahead of him, yeah. whether it's at the mid-major level, low-major level, or even, God, if I'm some, you know, young, you know, hot, you know, head coach, you know, I might put him on my staff, you know? Mm-hmm. I, oh, yeah, I mean, he can definitely help. I mean, I just... He's, you know, he had two big chances. Sure. Um, NC State fans still uh, hate him, <laughs> uh, but uh... Ah, they like, how about this? I used to every time Sidney Lowe would like miss an NCAA tournament, which was literally every year. Um, I would point out, hey, listen, you know, NC State fans would be going bananas, and I would just point out, like, hey, you had a guy who went to the NCAA tournament. You said that wasn't good enough, so here you go. Like, whatever. These same, I bet you, I haven't, I haven't tweeted the name Herb Sindek in a year before today or before like last night 
and certainly haven't really written, you know, anything about NC State, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. And like, I still had countless people like, like they can't, they still are hung up on what I so used weird. to. It is weird. I'm like, you really think it's so weird. Like, you're really thinking about me. Like, like your day, your your day is built around. I can't wait to tell Gary Parish that Herb Sendak failed at Arizona State, and you're an NC State fan. Like that's and by the way, he got nine years. Like it's not like he fell on his face inside of two or three years. Like he he did nine years in the Pac-12. Maybe it wasn't nine great years, but it, it it was nine years of paychecks. And so I don't know. I just find it weird that NC State fans like they clearly remember that stuff. There's there's otherwise no reason to be tweeting me about Herb Sindek. Um, hey, real quick, yeah. um, uh, Goodman did tweet this, but and I, I did think about it. Like it, since you know Howland so well. Do you think he might have a, just a little bit of remorse here for pulling the trigger so no. fast on Mississippi State, or do you not even think he would have been a reasonable candidate at Arizona no, State? No, that's good than being silly. Um, okay, you know Ben. <laughs> um, ben, first off, I, I'll tell you. I'll just and I would it. think I'll Arizona just, State's a Nike school off the top of my head. I can't no, yo, oh, here's the thing. Okay, so th- this was about to say. So yesterday, I get a text message from a source. And they say, hey, it looks like Arizona State's going to open up. This was yesterday. This is way before it started really circling on, because I immediately do Twitter searches. There is nothing really about Herb Sunday. And I get a text from a source that sounds like Arizona State might, might open. And I said, you know, then you ask all the normal questions. You text some other people. You try to bounce it off. And one of the first things I heard from somebody else is, yes, I'm hearing the same thing. And I said, really, where are you hearing this? And they said, from uh, some Adidas people. And, I, and so I'm like, Adidas people, that's weird. And um, so I'm like, okay, but Arizona State's a Nike school, except they just signed an Adidas contract. Did they really? That's what I was told, like today. I haven't looked it up yet because uh-huh. somebody actually told me this, like texting back and forth when I was at dinner tonight because I, I was having the same conversation with them and they were like, you know, they signed an Adidas. So like, I really do think on some level, on some level, it might be the smallest of levels. But on some level, Adidas helped pull the trigger on Rick Ray at Mississippi State and on um, uh, Herb Sindek at Arizona State. But here's my central point uh, to, to tie this back to Ben Hallen. If Adidas people were talking about this yesterday, and they clearly were, then Ben Hallen knew about how the, that the Arizona State job was going to open. Yeah. Because okay. he's connected. He's as connected to the Adidas people as anybody. So uh, my, my guess is, and it's not a guess, it's like a educated conclusion by connecting dots he um ben knew he couldn't get arizona state right Uh, because he had to have known it was opening because the same people that helped place him at mississippi state were the ones you know uh, chit-chatting yesterday about arizona state opening and so and and by the way if they had already reached out to jeff capel that means that they have known this is going to happen basically they were just waiting for the nit season to end and then they were going to pull the trigger on herb like this had been decided and so my point is this: Ben knew Arizona State was going to open, and if he thought he could get Arizona State, then he'd be living in Tempe now instead of Starkville. I, simply put, he just he knew he couldn't get that job, so he took this job. Say, you know what it's exactly like? Um, last year, Bruce Pearl took Auburn pretty quickly, right? Yeah. And people were going, "Oh, I wonder if Bruce Pearl wished he would have waited," you know, because uh, Tennessee opened up. Well, Bruce knew that he that couldn't wasn't, get. Yeah, that- well, like, but, yeah. it's, but it's the same thing. Like Bruce right. knew he couldn't get Tennessee, even if because you had to know there was a chance Tennessee could open because either they they fire Conzo or Conzo bounces to another job. Uh, but you had to know there was a chance, and 
uh, Bruce knew that there was a chance, just like everybody knew there was a chance, but he also knew there was zero chance he would get that job. So there was no sense in waiting. It didn't matter. Same thing here. Um, I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying uh, there's no sense in waiting for Arizona State to open because he already knew he wasn't going to to be in play at Arizona State. And the connection to Capel, I'm told, is um, Jerry Colangelo, USA Basketball, li- lives in Phoenix, and they're moving USA Basketball there. And Colangelo has a relationship with Capel uh, through USA Basketball. So that it's all connected in that way. That's actually pretty intriguing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so that's that. And, it, you know, if it's Capel, like, like good for him. You know, like um, – you know, he, he has competed at the highest levels of college basketball. You know, he t- went, took VCU to an NCAA tournament, you know, had Oklahoma ranked in the top five, you know, got, a, I believe, a two seed that could have been a one if Blake wouldn't have got injured um, briefly in his sophomore year. I think it was in February he missed some games. They ultimately lost in the Elite Eight that year to uh, North Carolina, the eventual national champion. And then, of course, you know, there's some NCAA stuff, Willie Warren and Tiny Gallon, and it just – it just um, it, it, it blew up on him, and, and then he was out. But um, somebody said today uh, that he's been through Duke rehab, <laughs> which, yeah. which is sort of a way to, to, to scrape all of that stuff off of you. And, uh, and now it looks like he's going to be a, a, a Pac-12 coach if he wants to be a Pac-12 coach. And to your point, Norlander, earlier, and then we'll move on, um, you know, I'm told he's, he, was, he hasn't really decided whether he wants it or not, but – I don't like if you get an opportunity to be a, a Pac-12 coach and live in Tempe and make you know in excess of a million dollars a year. Um, why not? Because really, in the Pac-12, who scares you right now? This is a question I wanted to ask, Sam. Air, Sean in Arizona, clearly. Yeah. Outside of that, who scares you? Who are you worried about? Oh yeah, um, no one really. Right. I, I mean, if if you think that UCLA is, you know, gonna stay as strong as they have been the last two years and two sweet scenes, but it doesn't seem like they have a ton of momentum going forward with their recruiting classes or anything like that. So I would say that the PAC 12 is pretty open right now, as far as outside of Arizona, who, who could rise up and really move to the forefront. Uh, but yeah, I would say Arizona State's as good a candidate as any, to be right. honest. Well, it's sort of like Ben Howland going to Mississippi State. Like, okay, in the SEC, who scares you? Yeah, it's exactly Cal- like that. Cal- Calipari at Kentucky, that, that's a monster, right? Billy mm-hmm. at Florida, although, like, I, I'm not sure how much longer Billy's going to be at Florida. You know, we, we can get into that another day. But I, I just, um, more and more people seem to think that the NBA thing is really um, – a very, a very real possibility this offseason. So, like, okay, if Billy's at Florida for the next five years, he's, he's, he's a giant. But uh, I don't know that people think he's going to be at Florida for the next five years. Um, okay, Bruce Pearl at Auburn, I got, you know, that's a real thing. I, I, you know, And then, you know, if Alabama can really swing and hit Greg Marshall or if they miss their Archie Miller – like that, but like, really, who scares you in the in the SEC? Whereas, like, this is the difference to me between like Ben taking Mississippi State and and Capel theoretically taking Arizona State and Buzz taking Virginia Tech. And I've been through it. I know why Buzz took Virginia Tech. I get it. Um, but like, there's such a hard climb in the ACC. I mean, you're dealing with you know Patino and Shashevsky and Roy Williams and Mike Bray and Tony Bennett and you know Jamie Dixon and. Pitt are always going to be solid at least. You know, Leonard Hamilton's always going to get guys at Florida State. Um, Syracuse fans are screaming at you right now. Syracuse, 
you know, when well, they, 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 they're still Syracuse, I guess. They're still Syracuse. Yeah, yeah. I get you. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Like, there's a there's a lot of people to get through to get even to the top, you know, third. But in the SEC and the Pac-12, like, I'm not terrified of too many things right now in that league. And so, if I'm capable, just to bottom line it, I, I you know, I can't speak for him. I'm sure there's a lot that goes into it. But, you know, pay me in excess of a million dollars a year to take a pretty good Pac-12 job and uh, live in Tempe. I, yeah, I, I think that I'd, I would feel fortunate that that's a, a nice second lease on uh, my head coaching career. The other big news from today out of the Big 12, Marcus Foster uh, dismissed from Kansas State. This is a guy who was, I think, legitimately, you know, an All-American type candidate in the preseason, you know, and and boy, the, the his sophomore year was just all over the place. He it got benched in spots. He was suspended in spots and now uh, removed uh, by Bruce Weber according to the school uh, from the Kansas State basketball program, Norlandic. I saw somebody tweet this earlier. I think it might have been our buddy Jeff Eisenberg, but I'm not sure. But either way, the point was good. Like, who has gone from a nobody to a somebody to a nobody more quickly uh, than Marcus Foster? He was an unheralded recruit who became a first-team All-Big 12 guy, and now he's like a man without a basketball team. It, all of this happens in a span of about – you know, 15 months, which is just a remarkable rise and then fall. Um, what do you make of the Mar- Marcus Foster story? Yeah. Um, so this is going to be interesting because, I mean, I'd love to know the real story. I mean, it's, to me, from the outside, the optics on it, I mean, he really must have had to uh, have just really been a problem because um, he was really talented, so vital to that program uh, and, and the success that they could have had. And for Bruce to have uh, disciplined him, uh, and dealt with him as much as he did, and now to dismiss him. Um, I mean, there really had to be some rocky stuff there. So then the question becomes, okay, what happened? Uh, coaches are going to want the the real deal here. And who's who's going to go after him and where he's going to land? Because, uh, listen, we're going to have another 500-plus guys transfer. And in reality, um, when you eliminate grad transfers, in which there are a few out every year that will you know leave and start somewhere else, when you look at a guy who's not a, dra- a grad transfer and has real impact, I mean, we really have a – Ten max, max, maybe even five. Yeah, there is he, nothing I care less about than the the transfer epidemic. Dun dun dun. Like right. I don't get. Thing. I don't care. Like it doesn't bother me at all. Like yeah. Like I, 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 you could make it where kids could transfer whenever they want to. I don't like why it doesn't affect my life in any way, and it's not nearly as big a problem as people make it out to be. You know, who it's a problem for college basketball coaches who are trying to figure out the rosters. But is it how many transfers a year actually affect? the sport right it's 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 very limited um yeah, no i totally agree with both of you i think that they should both they should be able to transfer whenever they want yeah who cares? Like, yeah who, who cares? cares i like i don't care where they want to be right yeah yeah I, so, like, uh, you know with foster where's he gonna go um is he gonna have to sit a year i would think he's going to um so but wherever he goes i mean if he's able to really uh you know settle himself in rehab who he is, generally speaking, uh, he could be a huge boon to a program. But the, uh, the I don't know what it is. I, I just don't know if he was just a jerk. Uh, I don't know if well, it's got to be more than a jerk. I mean, listen, it's got to be right. He I mean, was, I he first, off, first off, he was a jerk. All right, and a lot of it was like I heard the dad. I don't want to. I don't want to speak out of turn. <laughs> Sometimes I get confused on what I've actually heard and what <laughs> what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but I think I heard. I'll just say a relative, kind of bananas. You know, like I heard. I want to say I've heard that as well, but I'm not going to pin it directly on him because I can't confirm. Yeah, it might not be a dad. Okay, like let's just say this: I was told a relative had been a 
a relative had been a big pain in the ass of the coaching staff, like whoever that is. And um, I mean, let's just keep it simple. Bruce Weber is, is going to be on the hot seat next year. You really kicking off a dude as talented as Marcus Foster, unless you feel like you have no choice. I mean, that's the thing. That's right. what, that's what I'm kind of getting at. It's kind of it's kind of amazing. So uh, we'll see where he lands and how soon that happens. I, I do not think he'll be an eligible player next season. I think we will not see him again um, until 2016. So, uh, but that is big news. I mean, that is that is a major transaction, um, kind of smack dab here in the middle of the tournament. Uh, we might even forget about it for a month and then look up and and we'll see where he's going. Uh, but it is. It is intriguing, that's for sure. You know, um, the runoff role has been uh, brought up as it connects to Marcus Foster. And though the NCAA has the ability and a history of interpreting stuff however they want to interpret it. So, like, anytime you're trying to predict who can get a waiver and who cannot get a waiver, like, you are, you're just guessing. Because there's no rhyme, yeah. there is really no rhyme or reason to, to the way they rule on this stuff. I know they think there's a rhyme or reason, but we can find similar examples and and one got ruled one way and one got ruled the other and it, you you really can't get a um, a sensible explanation from it. But I will say that the runoff rule is typically for kids who are told they're not their scholarships not being renewed. The way that Kansas State released this information with a quote from Bruce Weber made it clear that he was kicked off the team. Like that that quote mm-hmm. will live forever in the NCAA office, and the quote is essentially. He didn't live up to the standards of being a Kansas State University basketball player. And that's not run off as much as that's dismissed. And so I would be surprised if he's able to get a waiver. But I've been surprised like literally 50 times when certain players sure. have gotten waivers. So we'll, we'll mm-hmm. see. But I don't think this, um, in the spirit of the rule, I don't think this qualifies for, for yeah. a runoff rule exception. I, I, I think I'm reading that correctly. Yeah, so I actually looked up, it's like a three-pronged system as far as getting a runoff waiver. Um, you have to demonstrate that he would not be allowed to return, which is obviously true here. Sure. Um, he has to be in good academic standing, which who knows, but uh, presumably we'll, we'll true, assume right. the best. Yeah. And then the third one is a written statement from the student athlete's previous institution indicating that the previous institution supports the request. So that might be a problem. Right. Well, given I, that he uh, has booted him. But, well, I mean, who knows? Maybe they could, like, make a deal where, who knows? Like, if he says, oh, I won't transfer within the Big 12 if you give me this written statement or something right. like they, that. He, they won't let him do that, period. Yeah, um, well, like, whatever it is. I just remember when Dominic Woodson transferred out of Memphis. Like, the truth is he was he was dismissed from the program. Like, he like he was he was just a, he was bananas, all right? And, like, like he literally got into a fist fight in study hall, okay? Like, he's just – he's a crazy person. And I mean that in the nicest way, but he's just, he's, he's dealing with a lot of stuff, this guy. And, um, but Memphis was very careful about how they phrased him leaving the Memphis program. They never used words like didn't live up to standards. They never used words like, um, just, they didn't say dismissed. They said he was, uh, Dominic Woodson is leaving the Memphis basketball program and we wish him the best and all that type of stuff. And then, you know, Memphis actually did work with Tennessee um, to, to get him eligible um, at Tennessee immediately. And then of course he got kicked out. Of he Tennessee. got eligible and then he was off the team before. <laughs> right, right, right. Cause he's bananas. I'm trying to tell you, but in that, as I'm telling the story, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm remembering the context. Uh, Memphis had an obvious incentive to do it because they needed a scholarship for Kedron Johnson. So if they, so they could work with Dominic Woodson 
to free up that scholarship for Kedron Johnson. And so everybody won. Um, I guess it comes down to, on some level, is Kansas State going to fight on behalf of Marcus Foster? And honestly, if you're Bruce Weber, like, why would you? Yeah. You know, why would you? I hear you. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, all right. Hey, you want to talk about actual games? Hey, let's talk about this little tournament what we got are going on. Okay, so Thursday, um, we got the Sweet 16. You've heard of the Sweet 16, right? Um, in theory. Okay, so we have a Sweet 16 that starts on Thursday. The first game is uh, a 7:15 Eastern tip. It's a Wichita State Notre Dame followed by 7:47 tip Carolina Wisconsin, 9:45 tip West Virginia Kentucky, 10:17 tip Xavier Arizona. Let's start with Carolina Wisconsin because uh, there is actual news pegged to that. North Carolina gave an update on Kennedy Meeks today. Norlander, update us. Well, I mean, broadly speaking here, Kennedy Meeks uh, has a lingering knee injury, and it remains up in the air if he's going to be available. And as we're talking about this, I mean, it feels like almost every tournament in the past half decade that Roy Williams has gotten to, he has had a player that has not been healthy I know. when they get there. Yeah. Uh, he is really bugabooed by this. To me, this is actually the pivotal, this is very pivotal, um, in our Bracket prediction, long before I realized Villanova wouldn't make it out of the first weekend, uh, I always usually like to take a one to lose in the Sweet 16 because you don't usually get all four ones to the Elite Eight, let alone the Final Four. So I, I was like, you know what, whatever. North Carolina's got uh, NBA talent, I'll do that. But if they don't have Meeks, and I don't even think it's even feasible now. I mean, if he is, he, he's been quoted as doubtful. They've mildly upgraded that at this point. But if he is not serviceable at his full capacity, that really eliminates a huge defensive factor uh, when you look at Kaminsky because it can't just be Bryce Johnson. It's really more Kennedy's job to deal with Frank. So this takes it from a game that I actually thought had a really good chance of being close to. Maybe Wisconsin's going to be able to free up and do some more. And Wisconsin, by the way, is in a similar position with, with a less vital player um, with Trayvon Jackson. I mean, right. when is he going to be fully good to go? That still uh, is not has not been decided. So let me ask you this: You think even let's say he is good to go, can he help them? Yeah, uh, can he help them? I don't know if he can help. Like I guess he, I don't know. Do, do I'll ask. Want, yeah, can he help? Do them? you want a Kennedy Meeks with like a bum knee trying to guard Kaminsky on the perimeter? No, I don't even That's mean true. Kennedy Meeks. I mean Trayvon. Oh, oh, Wisconsin. I I'm like, can, can Trayvon Jackson help at this time of the year? Just hey, just bring you back, and it just seems like it. I mean, I guess it's not bad to have as many bodies as you can, but on some level, I just think, like, I mean, it's 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 do or die time, and trying to put somebody back into the rotation can be tough, can it? Yeah, um, I I really like his game. You know, he's a senior. Um, I, I find him to be fairly reliable uh, as an overall player. I don't know. I, I think they are better. I guess, plainly speaking, yes. Even though he hasn't been around for. Gosh, we're going on two months here. Um, I still think that they are a better team with him than without him. But there is there is some legitimacy to, okay, when you get a, a body back on the floor, how quickly can you adjust to it in a do-or-die kind of situation? But especially if they were to play Kentucky, you need all the bodies possible. And, sure. and Trayvon Jackson certainly will, will help you in that regard. I got that. Um, so- here's, here's my other thing with that, too. They're really not deep, especially on the perimeter. Like, even if you bring him off the bench for 15 minutes a game, sure. like 10 minutes a game, he could be useful, I think. Yeah, no, I'm not debating whether he is. I'm just wondering out loud, honestly. Um, so I've been asked a lot um, because in interviews over the past couple of days um, you know, about Kentucky and assuming they get past West Virginia. I mean, they're thir- does this surprise you? They're a 13.5-point favorite of West Virginia. That's about what they were over Cincinnati. 
A little surprising. I think West Virginia will cover. I'm just like that number seems weird. The idea that because I think we all think West Virginia is better than Cincinnati, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. by, by any metric, like they're better. And yet the point spread is really not any different. Like they were favored over Cincinnati about as much as they're favored over West Virginia, which is, um, I don't know, just I, I noticed it. I don't know what it means, but I noticed it. I can uh, take a guess on that if you're interested. I am interested. Um, my guess is that it's going to be a higher possession game. Yep. So there's going to be more of a chance for like Cincinnati, there are going to be fewer possessions. Yeah. So there's going to be less of a chance for them to like really break away from Cincinnati. Yeah. Whereas with West Virginia, it's probably the same, yeah. but that, that's total guess. Like no, I don't really No, That's as good as that. Like actually makes some sort of sense. So no, that's probably yeah. a good guess, but we all assume like, listen, if how often during the year do you see a team lose a game when they're, you know, basically a two touchdown favorite? In basketball, in a college, it doesn't happen that often. I mean, certainly, the if you're a 14 point favorite, um, you, you you almost certainly win the game. Whether you cover or not, it's a whole nother deal. But right, uh, you know, I just remember like some of the quote big upsets from college basketball season, and they'd be teams that were like nine point favorites and ten point favorites. So when you're favored by 14 points in a bas- college basketball game, like you are a significant favorite. They they, you know, barring a like the biggest surprise in the history of college basketball or something close to it in the modern era, uh, they'll move on. And so people keep asking me, who presents the the tougher Elite Eight matchup, Notre Dame or Wichita State? Norlander, what do you think the answer is? <sighs> I, I, I guess Notre Dame. I'm not super confident in saying Notre Dame, um, but I, I would say Notre Dame just because they're so good offensively that – you know, if they if they're really able to to light it up from deep, um, that's going to present them with at least uh, a glimmer of hope that if they can keep it going and, and Kentucky is off offensively, but they just don't have size. I don't I don't like either matchup. Uh, Wichita State's a much better defensive team, uh, but they're even less undersized than Kentucky. So it's a matter of like, okay, you want to take the team that is just ridiculous on offense, but just doesn't have the defense. Period. Or do you want to take the smaller team, not quite as good as on offense, much better on defense? Give me, give me Notre Dame by the slimmest of margins. But I ultimately think that West Virginia is going to give Kentucky a more interesting game than who they play in the Elite Eight. You know what? I, my instincts tell me it's Notre Dame to the extent that that either one of them can challenge. I don't think Kentucky will will have a big problem with either. But I, I think it's Notre Dame for the re- like you know that at least they might be able to outscore them you know like Kentucky will score on them but maybe Notre Dame can keep scoring on Kentucky who knows but Wichita State there's something to be said for if they were to get there they would have a played Kentucky to the literally the buzzer you know, sure. a, a year ago and though this Kentucky team's different than that Kentucky team if you're Fred VanVleet Ron Baker Tekel Cotton you can kind of look across and go yo man we we played these guys to the buzzer last year we can we can play them again. You know, Carl Anthony Towns wasn't involved. Neither was Willie, by the way. Or was yep. Willie? Was Willie and Colley involved? No, he did not. He did not no. play in that game. He didn't play in the Wichita State game. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, like, we know it's different. But I'm just saying, if, from Wichita State's perspective, you could probably talk yourself into it in a way that, you know, I think most teams probably can't. Like they all say, like we heard the West Virginia kids, you know, they put their drawers on the same way we put our drawers on. But like. The bodies inside their drawers are better than the bodies inside your drawers. Um, <laughs> Always hitting new heights on the podcast, right? So, like, let's you know, like it's a nice little quote. I used it in a story, but come on, 
Whereas I think if you're Wichita State, you can convince yourself. And if you're Greg Marshall, you can convince your guys, hey, this this is this is Kentucky. That's John Calipari. We played them to the buzzer last year, and they went to the national championship game. We're good enough to do this. Beyond that, um, if you're there, by definition, you would have just beaten the Big 12 regular season champs and the ACC tournament champs. So at that point, I think you'd talk yourself into anything. Um, and then probably lose by double digits, right? I mean, that's the way it'll go. But... <laughs> Um, Sam, like, does any of what I just said make sense? Like, if you're Wichita State, I, I think whatever mental barrier there might be to play in Kentucky, like, it almost might not exist for them. Does that make sense? I think it helps that you've played largely the same group of guys last year. Like, yeah, Willie wasn't there. Yeah, Towns wasn't there. But you had uh, Julius Randle there. Like, it was right. – you, there's at least a similar talent level. You right. Know? Yeah, I got to um, hop in here. Willie did play. Uh, did he? I thought he did, yeah. Kentucky fans listening to this are probably going nuts. Some of them have probably already tweeted us mid podcast. I don't remember. That's what's nuts about it. I don't remember. I thought I thought it was the game before, but it wasn't. Uh, it was the Louisville game. But and how ridiculous is this? I mean, Willie, who's been honestly, um, in my opinion, third best player in the country at this point, he came off the freaking bench in this game last year. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, because so Kari Johnson was starting down the stretch. Oh my, that's yep. just ridiculous. That's crazy, but. But here's the thing about both of these teams. They at least limit turnovers, and they both shoot the three well. I mean, I guess that that helps a lot against Kentucky, but those are two things that you really have to do against Kentucky to even have a shot. You have to really take advantage of all of your possessions by not turning the ball over, and you need to at least shoot the ball well from deep. Um, I doubt that it matters, but yeah. I mean, I hope we, they at least do things well. That I, I'd love matter. As a, selfishly, I, I would love to be in the building, Kentucky Wichita State. Yeah, you're going to Cleveland. What do you want to see, Norlander? Uh, I would love to see Kentucky Wichita State in that game to be a I three, a one possession game, three points or whatever, with five minutes to go. I think that would be amazing. I think when you get to the tournament and you get to these huge stages and you get, if you can get to the five minute mark and you're within two three pointers, I think at that point you've got enough momentum. Uh, enough belief that it can happen, and then it's it's really a lot of instincts can take over. Um, so it would be incredible, and it's certainly possible. I mean, it's the tournament. We've seen great games over the years, uh, but I just uh, it's hard for me to see how Wichita State could even get it to that point because Kentucky is so physically and athletically like they're so much better than Wichita State um, that I just I don't see how they don't get murdered in the paint like on both ends uh, but it is possible don't get me wrong I, I would never want to doubt Fred Van Vliet and I would love to see Kentucky Wichita State um, but I you know I'd be surprised if it got to that point um, question la- yeah go ahead how much money is a Kentucky win worth to Greg Marshall's next contract oh that's a good <laughs> oh, well like he's already Seriously. like he is um, <laughs> like I don't know if people like thought I was exaggerating with the money that I reported, you know, in the Alabama story. Like that's not that's not an inflated number. In fact, I <laughs> like I was conservative with the number. Like you know, I, I put in excess of three million dollars. Like they're like they're willing to do whatever they got to do at Alabama. And and I it, I I I I was actually um, I, I liked the idea today that when Greg was on with Jim Rome. He didn't, and I know we're not supposed to cuss on the podcast, but just like, excuse me this one time, like he didn't bullshit about it, you know, like yeah. he, he, you know, Jim asked him about the Alabama offer and he said, I haven't talked to Alabama, but if they're going to, if, if they have a crazy offer, we'll certainly listen. It will take a lot to get me to leave here, but like, I'll, I'll, I'll certainly listen to what they have to say. And I, I don't know on one hand, like, I, I think Wichita State fans are actually like, 
they've been through this enough to where they can sort of respect that on some level. They don't feel like their coach is spinning them and, and constantly working behind their back to try to get out of there. They, they understand he's turned down big opportunities before, and he'll do it again unless there's one that's too good to pass up. But one of the things when I was in Wichita a few weeks ago that, that Greg said to me over and over again is, though he's had you know a million job offers since he's been at uh, Wichita State, He's never had uh, the one you can't refuse. He hasn't had that one yet. And he does think those exist. And I don't need to get into specifics, but I, I think he has a, an idea of what the jobs, the, the offers you can't turn down. I, I, think, I think he has a list in his head, and, but he hasn't had one of those yet. The Alabama one, I don't think was in his head. But when we're talking about all of the resources you could possibly desire, Nick Saban like literally Nick Saban coming to recruit you and and making you one of the highest paid coaches in America, and I'm talking $3.5 million a year, $4 million a year, like whatever it takes. If Greg Marshall says no to Alabama, it won't be because of money. It'll just be because he decided he doesn't want to leave Wichita or he can get something better, better for him. But it won't be because of money. And so like that, that's we're already there. So I really don't know how much more he can help himself with victory over Kentucky, but my God, if he gets to a victory, oh my over, God. <laughs> but a win over Kentucky takes Wichita State to a second Final Four. I mean, it, well, here's the weird part. Okay, it, so yeah, if if that happens, right, it's it's almost this weird thing where like you know Greg and his family they love it there. When you have done that and you've gone to a second Final Four, it's this weird thing where if you beat Kentucky. Yeah, just I mean, just try to freaking envision that, okay? That Wichita State ends Kentucky's undefeated season. That's just mind-boggling if that happens. Like you've you've created a program and a job that instantly becomes among the most recognizable, broadly speaking, across the country. Wichita State would be Butler. It would be Butler. It would be it would be Butler uh, at the height of Brad. It really would. And so then. Like, what are you leaving for? Like, you're really leaving for, like, three or four jobs. And I don't know. I, I I understand the money is a huge deal. But if you do that, like, then what you've done is you've, you've lifted uh, the tide for all boats for the program, essentially. So that's where I think it would get really interesting because I don't see that – if that happened, I don't necessarily think that Greg would think, okay, I've taken this program as far as I can go. I think he'll think, okay, no, I can actually win national championships at Wichita State. So if I can do that – unless it is just unbelievably an upgrade in lifestyle and my family is fully on board, like why would you leave at that point? Well, I, I think here would be why. Because Greg's not dumb. And I, though he has a tremendous amount of confidence in his own abilities, as he should, um, he also recognizes a lot of this is, like they got lucky with Fred Van Vliet, they got lucky with Ron Baker. Um, unless you just think that like they developed Fred Van Vliet and Ron Baker. Now, maybe they did, but... How often are you going to find pro-level guards to recruit to Wichita State? You, you know what I'm saying? Like maybe, but but maybe this stuff. Uh, the same way, the yeah. same way Butler got lucky. Like we look back on those Butler years, like little scrappy Butler. They had like like two pros at least. You know, Sheldon, they had, they had Sheldon, Sheldon, and, and Gordon, Gordon and then Matt Howard was yep. obviously a beast. Right, but so like, I'm just saying at that level, like, but, and this is one thing I talked to Brad about when he was at Butler. Like they went to back-to-back title games. And I think the, the, the player we were talking about specifically was Cody Zeller. So they go to back-to-back national championship games. 
while Indiana's struggling. He has the best relationship with Cody Zeller you could ever hope to have. I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, but whatever. He's coaches the Celtics now. It doesn't matter. Um, and at the end of the day, he just can't beat Indiana for a kid. Like, it just ain't going to happen. And he, he recognized that. You know, though Shaka can build VCU to a certain level, and Brad could build Butler to a certain level, and Greg can build Wichita to a certain level, there are still some things you just cannot do. Like, you're not going out and getting McDonald's All-Americans. You're still not doing that. And if, if you're Greg Marshall, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. If you, yes. do, you know, what, whatever happens over the next week or so, do you start to look at it and go, okay, is this really as good as it ever gets? Could I ever possibly reasonably expect to duplicate this? Because how much of it is I'm just a wizard and you can give me any little underrated point guard and any sort of big body, you know, shooting guard and everybody else missed on them and I'll develop in them pros? Or how much of it is they just found something like this unique combination, the way Brad got Gordon and Shelvin on the same team? This will forever be the Van Vliet. I th- Listen, I think he'll always be good at Wichita, but we're not talking about being good. We're talking about 30 games in Final Fours. Like, it, it's just a hard thing to try to replicate. Whereas, at a if you're at a really good power conference school, you got it rolling, or even like outside of the power structure, but like a a place where you can recruit at the highest levels in a way that you typically can't at Wichita or Butler or VCU, like 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 Calipari did at Memphis, or like. You know, Thad can do it at Ohio State or Billy could do it. Like once you get one of those jobs going, then you can it's 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 not as difficult to replicate high level success. I think it's very hard to replicate this kind of stuff at the Wichita Butler VCU level. Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? I, I totally do. agree. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. Um, but also inherently, and I'm not saying it would be enough, but like you get Wichita <clears throat> State to yet another final four. Like it, it inherently just increases the program's overall profile, where you're going to have better recruits on a sliding scale come come into your lap. They're, they're already not, getting better. They're already getting better recruits. I think they signed, yeah. They got three top 100 guys right. coming in next they're year. They're already so getting they're, better. They're, I'm they're just saying, going there. Uh, yeah, no, they could go to two Final Fours in three years. Like let's just pretend they do it. You ain't beating Kansas on kids. You're just not. That's 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 a fair point. Mm-hmm. And and so like and that, let's like let, let's five stars and four stars, three stars you might, but. Four and five, you won't. You're not, sure. you're not dealing. You, you can't swim in those waters. And so, um, yeah, that, but on the other hand, like if you honestly, if you go to a second Final Four, why don't you just take $2.5 million from Wichita, uh, ride it out, retire at 57, and let them name everything after you, build you a statue? Like, really? Like, the, that's the other thing. Like, I, I do believe that one of the reasons Billy Donovan didn't leave Florida for the Magic the first time was because. He had all of this success, and why do you why do you know what is life about? Like I had this conversation with Billy one night. I think we were at LeBron camp, and we were it was like late in Akron, Ohio, and he was and this was right after like this was the summer after the second title, after he had already been to the Magic and come back, and he said he started thinking in these terms, which I thought was really smart or at the very least interesting. Um, he said. You work your whole life for this moment, and then you finally achieve it. And then it's like, now I'm going to go just run away from it? Like, you don't even get to enjoy it? Like, like who does that? And is it smart to do that? And I recognize people have done it before, but, like, I, that really resonated with me. Like, you work your whole life to maybe win a championship or maybe become one of the few guys who've ever done two in a row, and then you're just immediately going to run from that success? Like, shouldn't you just, shouldn't you just like, 
sit in it for a little while? Shouldn't you just like really soak it all in? And and I, I think that there were it's more complicated than what I'm making it out. But that 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 I remember Billy saying those things. And if you were Greg and you do have like this unprecedented level of success again at Wichita State, there is a little bit of that. Like, do you really want to run to another job and start trying to rebuild? and run away from the success that you've worked your whole life to have. Like I can argue both sides of it. Clearly I'm doing it right now. Yeah. Yeah, you can GP. I'm really just talking <laughs> to myself at this point. <laughs> so, so, uh, hey, why don't you guys so, go? I'll wrap this thing up by talking to myself. Well, like, you, wanna, you, you just wanted to be fair. Do you want to give Sam a little bit of time to talk anything zone of Xavier since he's going to be at in LA and at the game? Does uh, Chris Mack have any opportunity to do the whole teacher pupil upset? I think that he'll keep it close for a while. Like they're they're playing really well, but I, I don't think it's going to be an upset. I think that I, I wrote in the West Region like reset today that I think that going down to like the seven minute mark, six minute mark might be like a five point game, four point game, something like that. But uh, Arizona's too talented. I think like so. the, the Xavier team. I I did the top eighty starters today too. Um, I, I don't think they had anyone in the top 40 or mm. top 45 even. So like Stainbrook's their best guy. And yeah, it's going to allow Arizona to play Karnowski. They're probably going to have to play. I think that Ristich is healthy. I haven't seen him in a while, I feel like. But, uh, you know, like he's, they're going to have to play a little bit bigger to combat with, uh, you know, Stainbrook. But I, I don't think it's going to be a problem at all. I think that as long as Xavier doesn't get hot from three and have one of those like epic shooting nights that – just randomly happen in the NCAA tournament, I think it'll be fine. I, you know, I don't see it happening. And I know we had a, sort of a relatively boring Friday, Saturday, Sunday um, relative to that Thursday, but like, have you thought about like what the Elite Eight match, matchups could be? I mean, they could be bananas, right? You could Nasty. get Kentucky, Wichita, Arizona, Wisconsin, Duke, Gonzaga, and then whatever in the other one, who cares? But like, Kentucky, Wichita, Wisconsin, Arizona, Duke, Gonzaga, like that is awesome. So awesome. And, he, and he, you could even get Patino Izzo. So, I mean. Uh, yeah, and Patino Izzo, which would be awesome. Just the idea that we have spent four months talking about Patino's bad roster and Izzo's bad roster, and they could end up playing on Sunday for, for the Final Four is just a testament to how good those guys really are. Crazy. Tom Izzo has one top 90 recruit per 247 sports on that team. He's one. Brandon Dawson. That is insane. I think that this, I've been saying this for couple weeks now maybe three weeks four weeks something like that probably three weeks that i think that this is his best coaching job since that 1999 to 2001 like final four run with mateen cleaves and like morse peterson and all those guys like this is incredible that he has this team as far as he does already like i didn't think that they would be a top 25 team this year i didn't think they would be like i thought they were going to struggle to make the tournament and he has them as a top 15 offense with a bunch of guys that weren't really high usage players coming into this year and they're all upperclassmen. No. So it's just so like, it's an incredible job by him Dude, to I totally make this offense. I remember you tweeting, like whether it was, I don't know if it was December or early January, but it was at some point when Michigan state was struggling and you tweeted, can anybody give a reason why Michigan state will make the NCAA tournament other than it, Tom Izzo? And like, it was a reasonable question because you looked at that roster, you looked at yeah. the way they were playing. Like I sit in a studio with Mateen Cleaves like two nights a week, every week since January. My team would always say, 
Coach Izzo's the best, but like he, you know, he knows what a good Michigan State roster looks like and a and this Michigan State roster looks like. And even like last year when people thought maybe they had a talent issue, like they still had Gary Harris and Adrian Payne. Like there is no the only like real talented dude they have on this team is a guy who is honestly I don't think they have an NBA player on this. Team. No, okay, there's none of that, I don't think. Yeah. But beyond my point is this, like their most talented guy is a guy that some people would call the most disappointing guy from his high school class, which is Brandon yeah. Dawson. Dawson. Dawson, right. He's the only, I did this story earlier in the year on LeBron Nash. Mm-hmm. I think LeBron Nash and Brandon Dawson were the only top 20 recruits from that class that actually made it to their senior years. And at least LeBron Nash like bought out. He just is what he is, but he like, at least like scored a million points per game every, you know, whatever. Like Dawson's, Dawson is, and I don't mean like I'm not picking on him. I'm just like he's not what he never became what he what people thought he would be. That's fair, right? Yeah. Okay. Dawson is what he is. He's like a six foot six forward tweener. Right. Who okay. never developed a jump shot. Right. Like he's just a physical guy that really defends and really plays good, like incredible defense. He's so, probably a top twenty defender in the country. So when your most talented dude is a dude who hasn't lived up to expectations and you're still technically favored to go to the final four. Because that's where we're at right now. Michigan State's the favorite in the East. So when your most talented guy is a disappointment relative to his high school ranking and you're still the favorite on March 24th to make the Final Four, that that, like, no, like, Izzo's insane. Like, the the idea that he could, like, he really, he's one of those guys who, like, his reputation is well-earned. He, like, really is a master at this stuff. Uh, when it comes time for the NCAA tournament. All right, let's get out of here. We all got. I got a freaking pack. You got. I got a freaking (laughs) pack too. I got to fly too. You guys are going to games. I'm just, I'll be watching games on television. I'll be back. I'm going back to New York tomorrow. So um, you guys and Sam, enjoy the Staples Center. Uh, Norlander, enjoy Quicken Loans Arena. Yeah, I believe that's at the queue. I'm almost positive that's where it is. Yeah. Quicken Loans Arena and I will enjoy the CBS Broadcast Center on 57th between 10th and 11th. If you haven't subscribed on the, to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, do that on iTunes. It's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest edition. So knock that out. And either way, we will talk again on Friday. Take care.